some teaching assessments of Jesus. I shared some of these with you last week, but we have some new ones this week. By week one, I was already tired of his anti-rich, pro-Samaritan baloney. I wanted to take a course in Christianity, not liberalism. Ooh. Wears sandals too much. No one wants to see your dusty feet. Not what I expected. They say his area of specialty is carpentry, but we never built anything. Anyway, I think those are fun. Oh, and as you know, we've been walking through this catechism. We've, we've talked about who God is. We believe God is, and God is a tri, tri-unity, a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the traditional language. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they are each one part of the other. They are each one part of every action that the other one does that we know of. And again, this is us with the mind that God has given us seeking to understand God. And if you remember from that very first confessional prayer, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. So we are always we are always speaking metaphorically. We are always speaking with a limited kind of perspective. We're using human reason to try to understand things that are everlasting and eternal. And so we found out who we were as well in relationship to God. God created this universe and said that it was good and, and created human beings and said that they were good and, and gave us this realm to to have dominion over, it says in some translations of the Bible, to have stewardship of, which means to care for, to be caretakers of. And of course, we read then within the doctrine of the church and then within the scripture about what we call the fall, which is where Adam and Eve disobey God and sin comes into human existence. And it is like something that is in, with, and under everything in us. And this is Probably sin is probably one of the the hardest doctrines for us to accept because we really want to believe that we're just basically good people. What's interesting about the scripture is we are and we're not (laughs) at the same time. That's one of these difficult things. We, We like humans like one or zero. We want it to be this or that. Let me just tell you what, I think this world is both and... Both and, and when we, when we begin to, to live and begin to try to believe in that way, I think it opens things up for us. It's like, that person just screwed up, and they're doing the best that they can. For most of us, that's really hard to believe. <laughs> that person just really messed things up. Man, they really hurt me. They hurt somebody I love, whatever. And they're doing the best they can. Ooh. Both and sort of tough. So we talk about sin and we talk about how our brokenness then creates a separation from God. That we are, even though God says that we are his children, God has created us and loves us, that we, we are in, in many ways separate from God, separated from God by, by the things that we do, yes, but also just because of who we are and how we are. This sin infiltrates everything about us. And so then we come to 
talking about redemption and and about how we come back into relationship with God completely and fully. And in our understanding of that, we say that we need a redeemer. We need someone to be that redemption for us, to be that redeemer for us in order that we might come back into full relationship with God. Just as the first Adam brought sin into the world, we need a second Adam to break the bondage of sin and to set us free from it so that we might be called the children of God, that we might be in full relationship with God. And so this question that we're at now is, what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? And the answer, of course, very simple, very simple. One who is truly human and truly God. Sermon over. Just that simple, right? One who is truly human and truly God. Well, then the question 22, why we even need any more catechism? I'm not really sure, but question 22 is, why must the Redeemer be truly human? That in human nature, the Redeemer might on our behalf perfectly obey the entire law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that the Redeemer might sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay. Question 23, why must the Redeemer be truly God? That because of his divine nature, the Redeemer, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. And also that the Redeemer would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Wow, there's a lot going on in these. Let me read to you from our confessions what it says about the Redeemer. This is the Nicene Creed. Any Catholics in the congregation? There we go, got one. All right. Well, some couple of you are willing to admit. All right. Recovering Catholics. It's all right. I know we go to weekly meetings. It's good. I'm a Lutheran, so I'm sort of, you know, over here, a little bit Catholic. But yeah, we're all Catholic. Little C Catholic, universal church. Okay, there's a little teaching for you. Big C Catholic is the Pope and all that. Little C Catholic is the universal church. So you'll see that in some of this language. So the Nicene Creed, which is about the triunity, people. It's about God. But here in the second part of the Nicene Creed, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. Do you hear the Gospel of John in that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him. Okay? In the beginning, God moves, God's Spirit moves over the watery chaos. Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, is part and parcel of that creation. Of one being with lots of fights over this back in the day. That's why we have the Nicene Creed, by the way because they wanted to make clear. And this actually split the Eastern Church and the Western Church. So that's why you have the Eastern Orthodox Church and you have the Roman Catholic Church. There was, I won't go into it, but it's basically over a couple of vowels, but that's a whole other thing. Um, they, they mean a lot. 
for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So what's interesting to me about this is there's a lot about how, in this, in this particular creed, about how Jesus is divine, because that's sort of what they were fighting about. There's very little about how he was human. <laughs> he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human, and then it goes right to his death. A couple of lines about being human. It felt like they, they accepted that he was a dude, right? A human being, but they, that they couldn't quite get to the divinity. I don't know about you, but it's interesting in different, in different places in my life as, as a person of faith, like there are times when I really strongly identify with Jesus as a human being. That part of Jesus that, that gets angry, that part of Jesus that weeps, that part of Jesus that tells bad jokes, that part of Jesus that has relationships with people that get misunderstood, that really connects with me at different points in, in my life of faith. I don't know about you. And then there's also pieces of it where I connect with Jesus more as that being divine, you know, being God. The power that Jesus holds as part of this triunity, as part of the Trinity. And so, and I understand things differently, I won't say more, but differently as I go throughout my life of faith. That's why the Bible is so powerful. It's, it's one of those writings that, which I think are like most good writings, that you can go back to reading it and get something different from it. Maybe not every day, but in a, a year later, go back and read the same passage that meant, something, meant really something to you, and it'll mean something a little bit different to you that next time you go back. That's the power of a living word like the, our scriptures. It connects with us because we're different. We're different. And so God continues to be a living and active God in this. And so we talk about Jesus was truly divine and truly human. And that is, that is how, part, partly how he is our redeemer. And in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking more about sort of how Jesus accomplishes this. I'm going to be talking more about the atonement which is that big word which none of us really understand. Well, I won't say none of us. Some of us don't understand. Here's the Apostles' Creed. Again, it's about the triunity. Three stanzas. The second stanza, I believe, is where how it starts, in the God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Second stanza, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, as we would say it, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. What do you notice about both of these, both of these stanzas, not necessarily related to his humanness or his divinity? What do they spend a lot of time talking about? What? How he came to be. How he came to be, yes. And then 
how he died. That he lived and that he died and that, sort of how that all happened. So that's like the Exodus is the central story for Jewish people. Jesus' life, yes, but death and resurrection are the centerpiece for us. The centerpiece for us. Because this is how, and I don't love this language, but I'm going to say it anyway, where he accomplishes redemption, where he accomplishes our salvation. We believe it is, is through this sort of thing, where he submits himself. And, and what we talk about, we talk about is that what Jesus was able to accomplish as being fully human and fully divine is that he was able to reconcile us, to reconcile the sins of the people, to reconcile us to God. And to reconcile means to settle to resolve, to restore to friendship, to restore to harmony. We know of that disruption when we have something going on with a friend, right? When things aren't just quite right, we can feel that, that separation, that that disharmony there. With God, it's a little different because God, at least in my life anyway, maybe yours is different and for some people it is, God doesn't just show up and start talking to me every day and, and, and telling me, you know, things. Now, when I read the scripture, I, I can hear God speaking, right? And I've told you off and on that I, when I go to read the scripture, I, I often don't go for comfort, because normally what I, what I get in the scripture, and this is all about what's going on between my ears, is I get a lot of challenge. I get a lot of disruption. And it reminds me of my brokenness and of my sinfulness and how far I am from God. But of course, then there's this other piece of it to re- be reminded that Jesus is the Redeemer. And that through him being fully human and fully divine... He's able to accomplish this reconciliation, able to bring all things together in himself. Because he didn't regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but he poured himself out, taking on our flesh, becoming incarnate, God incarnate, God in the flesh, so that he might identify with us so that he might live with us, so that he might understand our weaknesses, and yet live in this life of what we would say is perfect obedience to God, even obedience unto death. And that it is through that mysterious and beautiful event of his death and his resurrection that we are set free from the bondage to sin, We get to see ourselves differently, not as condemned. We can then be kind to ourselves because we realize that God is kind to us. We can then love ourselves and love our neighbor because we realize that God so deeply loves us as we are but doesn't leave us there. So what kind of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God, one who is truly human 
and also truly God. And this mystery is one that we can ruminate on for a lifetime. Because again, we're using our human reason to try to understand what is going on with the divine. And I want to suffice it to say that Jesus becomes for us exactly what we needed so that we can be set free from our sin to live and to love and to become the children of God. And so I invite you, especially in these last few weeks of Lent, to ponder this mystery. Go to those creeds and our confessions and and look up What does it mean that Jesus is truly human? Read those creeds and confessions. Let it sink into your soul a bit. Let it challenge you some, because I'll tell you, these teachings are not easy teachings. They're they're challenging to us. They call us into question. And yet, we know from our scriptures that Jesus did these things People followed him, loved him, and were set free by him through his death and resurrection, just as we are. So may you go from this place, knowing how loved you are, how deeply loved you are by the everlasting God, and how that gives you the power to be set free from your sin and to love others with grace and with hope, to be reconciled and to be a reconciler in a world that is broken. May we do this in and through the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.